You are listening to episode 212 of the Mad Chatters podcast, January 16th, 2018. Most everyone's mad here. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Mad Chatters Podcast, your very important date with the happenings at Walt Disney World and around the Disney Universe. My name is Derek, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeremy. Fake news. No, he's really here. I promise. That's true. Yeah. So, Jeremy, on our previous show, we each shared a few resolutions we have for 2019, and I know we're only a few weeks into the new year, but I've already started tackling one of mine. What about you? Well, you're always such an overachiever, so <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Um, no, actually, but you say that I've, I've started planning one of mine. So I actually have been uh, thinking about my, my great bathroom visit of uh, that I want to do, and I'm a little overwhelmed. I ain't going to lie, because today I looked at some park maps, because I'm going to go with the bathrooms that are marked on the park map. And I only have Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom right now, but... Animal Kingdom, there are 14 restrooms on the map, and Magic Kingdom, there are 17. Whoa, that surprises me. Yeah. Now, so again, I'm not counting like restaurant restrooms. I, uh, it has to be on the map, if that makes sense. So, like, you know, whatever. But um, that's still a lot. That's that's 30 bathrooms in just two parks. Yeah. My my kidneys are going to shut down, but but I think it's going to be worth it it's, if I go viral. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I already told you it wasn't possible, but I would love to see you prove me wrong. You've been saying that my whole life, Derek, though, and, <laughs> and yet look at me now. <laughs> Take a look at me now. So I made a resolution to watch some of the live-action films that we talked about. So first I said I was going to watch Happiest Millionaire, and I queued it up. That thing is two hours and 48 minutes long. Wow. I never realized it was that. I knew it was long, but I didn't know it was that long. Yeah. So instead, I watched Tron, which is an hour and 45 <laughs> I, I'll say I have a whole year. I'll save Happiest Millionaire. Yeah, right it's going to take you a year. Yeah, seriously. Well, what were your thoughts on Tron? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so I get it. I, I did not dislike it by any means, and I get why it was kind of fun. But clearly, they had this idea to do this technologically advanced way of filming a movie, and cared nothing about the story because it made some. There were some parts where I'm like. What you're doing right now doesn't even make sense. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Uh. Yeah, but but here's the thing about Tron, and I, I love the universe. Like, I love the idea of the universe. And Tron Legacy, to me, is so good. Um, because, true confessions, don't write me emails. I'm not a huge fan of Tron. Like, like I've seen it, and I own it, and that's I've done my part. You know, I've, I've done my share. Uh, but Tron Legacy, I can put in and watch anytime. Like, it's so good. And I like Jeff Bridges, you know, Jeff Bridges, the dude abides and he abides in in the uh, in, in the universe of Tron, which I like. Absolutely. I mean, the story at its core, I could really appreciate. I think they were just when it got into the deeper, uh, like dissecting the story a little bit. I was like, all right, I see some holes here. Uh, but I love that they went for it. And this is what I said on Twitter that I cannot believe like after watching that movie, which is so outdated 
and just kind of faded away except for you know these cult fans who have stuck with it i cannot believe that in magic kingdom park where you have peter pan rapunzel like these same properties that get used over and over again you're gonna have a ride based on this movie of all movies it's pretty awesome it's, insane it's pretty great to me insane it's a good time to time to be alive uh yeah, Tron Legacy, though, it would make you appreciate it, I think, a little more. And I'm excited to watch it, for sure. Yeah. What was my other resolution? Do you remember? Uh, I think you... was you. Were you the one who said you want to try some new table service restaurants? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I have not done that yet, but uh, it's on the horizon. Okay. Next time I'm down, we'll definitely plan one together. Yeah, totally. And Passholder's getting some discounts right now, so check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, a little bit later, we're going to be joined by a third host we're excited about. But to oh, kick... who is it? Uh, well, you will just have to stay tuned. Oh, okay. Uh, to kick off this week's show, Jeremy and I want to share some experiences we've had at the parks recently. Speaking of food. Uh, so we're going to do some eating around the world. So there are a few restaurants we want to talk about that we've experienced over the last couple months, give our take on them. The first is one we did as part of the dining package for Candlelight Processional, the night we saw John Stamos. We went to Ale and Compass early in the morning for their breakfast. Now, uh, not too long ago, they switched from a menu to a buffet, but it's sort of a weird combination of buffet menu. Do you remember this? No. They came to us and said, do you want the buffet? If you do, it comes with an entree. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that was strange because it was a lot of food. It was, but I was kind of disappointed because if I get a buffet, the good thing about a buffet is you can try every single thing, you know, get little samples. But with this way, there were several entrees I wanted to try, but I had to pick one. Yeah, that's true, because the buffet wasn't, like, a full buffet. It was more like the appetizers in a buffet form. Yeah. So I have a list here of some of the stuff on the buffet, just to give you an idea. Um, yogurt parfaits, <laughs> fruit, and then a bunch of pastries. So, like, pastries, rolls, bagels, like, all sorts of bread-like things with a bunch of spreads. Like, they had that smoked trout dip that was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't try that. I'm, I, I like fish, but not for breakfast. No, I liked it. But jellies, preserves, they did have biscuits and gravy. So, gravy, so it was all carbs. But the thing on the menu that sounded best to me was the French toast. And I'm like, but I don't want to order the French toast if the buffet is only bread. I got the biscuits and gravy. They were really good. I got a little bit of the yogurt, which was good. And I got some of the pastries, which were good as well. What was your entree? Can you read the entrees? Because I, I can't quite recall. But if you say it, I'll remember it. I know Aaron Aaron Wallace was with us, and he got like the protein um, entree and did not enjoy it. And he had something that was disgusting because I tried it. Yes. Well, it was like avocado chocolate and avocado, maybe? Chocolate avocado toast. And it was jack nasty. Yeah, that's disgusting. Chocolate avocado toast. Uh, the other items... So I got the caramel, salted caramel apple French toast. To be completely honest, it was kind of dry. And it, it didn't work for me. It didn't work. 
Okay. I thought it was going to be all like sort of one consistency with like the apples sort of melding into with the French toast with the syrup and all that, but it felt like dry apples with dry toast. Um, anyway, uh, Eggs Benedict. That's what I got. I loved it. I thought, but I'm a big Eggs Benedict fan. In fact, you know, within the last six months, I've been a really big egg person and I've kind of perfected um, making sunny side eggs. Which is is a hard thing. It took me a while to get there. Um, so I've I've come to appreciate things like eggs Benedict and and really well done eggs, other than just like being scrambled. I enjoyed it. I recommend the eggs Benedict there. Okay, there you go. Uh, other lingeries include dark chocolate waffles. Uh, the thing I almost got: blueberry bacon pancakes. Sounded good to me. They have an open-faced skirt steak sandwich with caramelized onion and a poached egg. That sounds really good. So they do have a lot of good-sounding items, but you just have to choose, even though it's a buffet, you have to choose which entree you get. Uh, so I don't know how I feel about it. I, I think I like the Wave Breakfast Buffet better over at Contemporary. Hmm. Yeah, I, I recommend the Eggs Benedict. I can't really speak to anything else, but yeah, unless you're not into carbs this is probably not the place for you because even everything in the entrees is all carbs except like the protein bowl which aaron wallace would not recommend i'm i feel i feel confident to speak for him on that behalf i'm glad you mentioned the biscuits and gravy though because i do remember those and they were very good the biscuits and the gravy definitely definitely yeah this is this is a fun place if you want to go um without kids i feel like this is a good non-children's restaurant yeah and the buffet is 23 dollars uh, so for an all-you-can-eat experience at Disney, you know, not too bad. And of course, it's at a great resort at Yacht Club. Agreed. And we got it with the with the package, like you said. So if you're looking for that in Christmas time, actually, when they do the packages for the Broadway and for Christmas time, this is always the cheapest. Is Ale and Compass breakfast? Hmm. Good to know. Yeah, and it's usually one of the easiest ones to get too. I guess people just don't want to. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, it's really close to Epcot as well, so you can walk, because yeah. you guys did. I ended up driving, because I didn't want to leave my car there, but um, you can walk, you know, to Epcot after you're done and make a whole day of it. Now, this compares, we're, we're doing the other restaurant that we went to as well, correct? Yep. And I would gladly recommend that restaurant over Ale & Compass Breakfast, if you had to choose between the two. I will say, I've been to Ale & Compass now for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My dinner there fantastic like from start to finish we had the rolls with a bunch of different spreads to start it i got um some sort of seafood dish like absolutely would go back there and order the same thing tonight if i could i just i just thought i've, I've had better breakfast on property but yeah let's go over to the other restaurant you want to head that up yeah so we had dinner one evening uh over at olivia's cafe which is at Disney's old Key West Resort. I have never been there, and I don't think you'd been there before either. And let me tell you, this place is a little hidden gem at Walt Disney World. Like, this is the kind of restaurant that's never going to make anybody's top ten list. But the food is excellent. The theming is quaint and nice. The staff was phenomenal. And they made a boast there that I didn't think they could live up to. And uh, I think we all can agree they did. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good teaser. Uh, can we talk about the atmosphere first? Yes, of course. Okay. Bob Evans, down on the farm. <laughs> Thank you. Honestly, <laughs> e e the resort itself kind of reminded me of like an oversized Bob Evans. Like I felt like 
it was a retirement home. <laughs> but like done Key West style. Yes, having been to Key West, like the actual Key West, I don't really understand how this fits in because I didn't really see the connection. Maybe I wasn't at Key West in the 90s, so I missed it. But to me, like it definitely has that Floridian style, but 90s Floridian. A lot of pastel colors. Oh, yeah. And granted, we were, we were there after sunset, so we didn't get a good look. And we didn't really venture past the main building. But yeah, Olivia's Cafe is, is like, it's like another bad comparison, like a Floridian version of Cracker Barrel. Because it has all these knickknacks hung all over the place and fishing nets strung all over. Yeah, but don't let that deter you. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's in a charming way. It's done in a quaint way. Definitely. Because we, we went in and uh, we're seated and we ordered. Do you remember what you got? Because I think I got the same thing you got. I had to look it up today, but yes, it's the Cayo Hueso Shrimp Pasta. Cayo Hueso means Key West. Oh, Which I didn't okay. realize until today. But that is a Spanish translation of Key West Shrimp Pasta, which is sautéed shrimp, zucchini, yellow squash, grape tomato, and spinach tossed with penne pasta and pesto cream sauce. Fabulous. It was wonderful. Oh my gosh. Probably the best pasta I've had on property. Ate every bite and, and wanted more. And I think it came with bread. Is that correct? Or did yeah. It... Well, at the table, you get... It tasted exactly like the coconut pineapple bread you get at Ohana, but it's like single-serve rolls instead of a loaf. Yeah, and I'm trying to think what other people got. Everybody seemed to enjoy themselves, but I don't remember. It, it, the, all that matters is what we got, Jeremy. Exactly, exactly. But then, so we were enjoying ourselves, and we had a nice waitress who did a phenomenal job. And, you know, we're cutting up and, in, and having a good time. It was Terry's birthday, our friend of the show, Terry. So we were celebrating her birthday. And the waitress made the comment, you got to try our bread pudding. It's better than Ohana's. Which we have talked about many times on our show. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's iconic. Ohana bread pudding is is up there with your Mickey uh, waffles and your uh, your Dole Whip. You know, people people will fight you over that. So we were both, I think, very much taken aback by that because it's like, wow, you know, you don't you don't tug on Superman's cape, you know, kind of a thing. So we ordered the bread pudding, came out, presentation was nice. Derek took a bite. And I, I can't remember exactly what you said. Oh, what did I say? It was it was basically like, oh my gosh, I think she's right. Yeah, yeah, it was something like, wow, I think she's right. I think this is better than Ohana's. And maybe it was just because you were in that moment, you were unprepared for it being so good. Now that you've had time to reflect on it, your thoughts? No, I, I made sure to take a few bites before I confirmed because I knew that recency bias is a real thing you know like this is what i have right now and it's better than what i had a year ago but we all agreed or terry and i did at least that the reason it was a cut above is because it had this sort of crunchy streusel like texture on the outside whereas the bread pudding in ohana is sort of one texture all the way through that sort of soft bread pudding texture which i like but this just had this crispness and then when you finally get to the middle then it's soft with every bite Oh man, 
it, it, it's similar, like, they're very similar dishes, but I do think this is just a cut above, and it's all about the texture. Absolutely, and off the top of your head, do you happen to know about what the cost would be for Ohana bread pudding? Well, it's all you can eat at Ohana. Oh, that's right, that's true. Okay, so if you're not looking to pay Ohana prices, you can go, because it's only like $7 for the bread pudding at uh, Olivia's, which is a steal. Loved it. See, there it's called Ohana bread pudding, and at Olivia's it's called banana bread pudding sundae served with warm banana fosters topping. So it sounds like it's all the same ingredients, but I just, I can't be sure. Yeah. Um, maybe they make it in some, a different type of iron skillet or something, which makes it have that crust. I don't know. Hmm. But everything about this meal, like even the rolls, the rolls were absolutely delicious. We enjoyed it, and, and they sang Happy Birthday to Terry, which they don't do at a lot of restaurants these days. Um, so yeah, this is a great little place if you're looking to get off the beaten path, but still have a good meal that's much uh, calmer and smoother and more relaxed than a lot of your restaurants on property. Highly recommend Olivia's Cafe. I plan to go back. You know, we, sh- we should have uh, given a cast compliment to our server, because I can't remember her name for the life of me, but she really was awesome. She just made us feel so relaxed and was just very conversational. Yeah, and you could tell, like, she wasn't feeling the stress either. You know, you go to some of these uh, restaurants and they're very, what do you want? Here's your drink, blah, blah, blah. And it's because they got 10 tables of, of 50 people. Here, you didn't get that at all. There was no rush. There was no hurry up because the next, you know, party needs to be sat. It was just a nice experience overall. I agree. All right, well, those are the two we did together. Have you eaten anywhere new? On your own lately? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, you're local. I know. I'm sorry. But but I plan to. You know, it's one of my resolutions. So maybe by February, I'll have a, I'll have a new restaurant review coming up. Okay. Well, can I quickly mention one? Absolutely. Terry and I went to Liberty Tree Tavern, which I have not been to since you, Matt, and I went for dinner years ago. I remember. Have you been since then? No, I have not. And uh, partly because I'm always afraid that I'm going to have to use the restroom there and I can't handle the pressure of that tiny bathroom. First of all, bathroom is way bigger than I remember. Really? Okay. Yes, because I used it and I was like, this is not at all what I pictured. What's happening? Uh, secondly, I went for lunch. Dinner is the all you can eat where they bring the whole feast to you, like the different types of meats, all the sides, stuff like that. Lunch is an a la carte menu. And annual pass holders get a discount. So I was like, you know what? Let's try it. There's a reservation open. Oh my gosh. Probably the best burger I've had on property. It was amazing. Hold on. I need to find the menu. I should have written this down, but I need to find the menu so I can tell you exactly what was on this thing. They just started selling this burger last year. And did Terry get the burger as well? She got the pot roast, which we've heard good things about from some of our friends. And she too, like every bite, she was like, wow, wow, that's really good. So she got the pot roast, which costs $24. And it comes with mashed potatoes and vegetables. Okay. I got the Bell Burger, which was a huge burger. And it came with candied bacon, a poached egg... Huh. Lettuce. And lobster. And let me tell you, there was a good amount of lobster. I There was more lobster on this burger than there is in the lobster roll at Columbia Harbor House. 
I thought she was going to say, then on a lobster. <laughs> I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> it was like seven lobsters. No, no. And it was $25 and it came with french fries. I cannot wait to go back to Liberty Tree Tavern after that meal. It seriously was so good. And I, when Skipper Canteen opened, I was saying, this is my favorite restaurant in Magic Kingdom. And, it, and at that point, like it trumped Liberty Tree Tavern. But I think it was just because I hadn't been to Liberty Tree, Traver, Tree Tavern in so long. And now I'm like, no, I remember now why I always said Liberty Tree Tavern was my favorite at Magic Kingdom. I may have to go try that burger because uh, putting a lobster on a burger really intrigues me. With an egg, huh? With an egg. I had to eat it with a knife and fork, but man, was it good. Wow. So so is the nighttime still, like you said, the, the turkey and all that? Yeah. So at nighttime, you'll pay a flat fee for all you care to enjoy. But at lunch, you can order. I think the cheapest item was like $17, so not too bad. Gotcha. Has there been any changes to Garden Grill? Since Matt reviewed it on show number two or one or whatever that was. I don't know, but I've always wanted to dine there. You know, I, I think I'm going to go soon. Um, I was talking to actually some people about going because I just want a picture with Mickey and his little overalls. I think it's so adorable. And uh, I, I want to try the food there as well. But I'm not sure if it's changed since Matt you know, tore it apart some years ago. Well, if I remember correctly, I think he liked the food food yeah that's true yeah I'll, I'll give it a shot you know i think it's due for a for a for an, a, a redo you know enough time has has gone by but there's lots of other restaurants as well no i will have a new restaurant review soon i promise perfect all right well that does it for our restaurant reviews on with the show This week, we're joined by one of our favorite people to podcast with. In the past, she's helped us break down Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, and she's proven her Disney trivia skills in a number of Mad Chatter games. Is Celine Dion here? (laughs) Uh, She's even come out strong in her defense of spirit jerseys. Welcome back to the show, Courtney Guth. Thank you. I am currently wearing a spirit jersey right now True. because what else would I have picked? <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And I'm especially excited about the topic we have planned today. And I know you are too because it has close ties to one of the first roles you had with Disney. Do you want to remind our listeners what that was? Sure. Um, so I did a Disney college program in fall 2014, and I worked at Space Mountain. So I'm very excited to be talking about that among the other roller coasters. Well, that's a bit of a teaser for what's coming. But first, while you're here, Courtney, we want to bring back one of our favorite segments, Disney Hashtags. Disney Hashtags is when we try to break the internet, much like Ralph and Kim Kardashian. And that is we are throwing out a hashtag to something Disney. Now, you know, recently, uh, CEO Bob Iger made some very controversial remarks that uh, sparked the Disney Twitterverse into a frenzy. Um, whether he meant it or not to be uh, taken in a, in a bad way, it was taken in a, in a bad way, in which he kind of ripped on original ideas and kind of alluded to the fact that what makes money And what people want is IPs in the parks. They want to be able to experience the things they've seen on film. And he even made reference to something to the effect of no one wants to ride 
a little train in an undescript area of India, and everybody kind of took that as uh, he was bashing on Expedition Everest. So needless to say, Twitter responded in a very thoughtful and logical that's not true at all. They uh, there was a backlash <laughs> so much that Bob Iger left Twitter. Now, assumingly, it had something to do with this, but who knows for sure? It also came out that he was getting a massive raise, so I would have left Twitter as well because you know he was going to get some hate from that. All that to say, we decided to follow Bob's uh, lead, and this week's hashtag is hashtag Disneyfy Disney. So we want to take current things. And just make them a little more Disney. That's right. Let's IP it up. That's right. All right. So, Derek, why don't you start? Okay. Mine are all terrible. But here we go. Walt Disney's Carousel of Princesses. (laughs) I have Country Brother Bear Jamboree. (laughs) It's just the one bear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had the... uh, country silly old bear jamboree which is Winnie the Pooh themed I would see that is he gonna sing short and fat yeah but it's kind of freaky because it's uh, Eeyore's head is mounted on the wall (laughs) (laughs) okay Astro Orbiter Fire and Rescue remember that uh, Disney Tunes (laughs) that was a a deep cut (laughs) over at Animal Kingdom we have Callie just around the river bend rapid featuring <laughs> Pocahontas. Oh boy. I have a uh, C3PO Hana. Mm. Ooh, a restaurant. Star Wars theme. Uh, Tim Burton's Storybook Circus. Ooh, that would be kind of dark. <laughs> a little bit. Gotta get some Marvel in there. So, Soren around Thor, the Dark World. <laughs> 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 he just stands there and you fly over him. <laughs> um, in case the C-3PO idea falls through, you also have O-Ana, which is a frozen overlay of the restaurant. Oh, Anna. <laughs> oh, Anna. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger Mountain. Oh. I had that too. Oh, no way. Yeah. It's going to happen then. There we go. Also on the Toy Story theme, though, if you remember the Halloween short, we have Tower of Toy Story of Terror. Nice. Um, so if you if you remember Wreck-It Ralph, Fix-It Felix lives in Niceland, specifically in the Niceland apartment building. So I have Fix-It Felix Jr.'s Niceland apartment building of terror. <laughs> it's a similar looking structure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it has a ring to it. It just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> What's the uh, acronym for that one? <laughs> uh, Fifth Janabot. <laughs> uh, so, you know, mine now from here on out are just kind of stupid, but I see them being uh, actually put in place. So I have Olaf's Southern Dropping Ride, Olaf's uh, Mountain Train Ride, Olaf's Enchanted Island, it's just all oh, Olaf wow. and every attraction in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, especially with that sequel coming out this year. Mm-hmm. I'm just afraid we're going to have 2014 all over again. We have a write-in vote from Doug, who can hear me recording this. And <laughs> oh. he has submitted the American Adventures of Ichabod Crane. 
Hey! <laughs> you know, I would actually kind of like that one. Though. I'd love to see an animatronic <laughs> Ichabod Crane. Yeah, I would like that. Um, let's see. Phantasmic, The Descendant's Revenge. Ooh. I have three more. I have Jungle Book Cruise. Okay, that's good. I had Jungle to Jungle Cruise. <laughs> oh, Tim Allen! Hey. Sold. <laughs> Um, if things don't pan out with Aerosmith, you can have Rock and Roller Coaster starring Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Yes! I love that, honestly. Just make it a Muppet ride. Oh my gosh, that's great. Uh, back to restaurants. Flame Tree Grandmother... No, Flame Grandmother Willow Tree Barbecue. <laughs> All right, and this is my last one. This is actually a defunct ride, but... Mission to Mars Needs Moms. The pick, they packaged a ride that nobody wants with a film that nobody saw. Uh, I would never ride that. <laughs> Ever. Oh, man. I just had a couple more. Um, Disney's Grand Wakandan Resort and Spa. <laughs> um, Radiator Springs, California Grill. You get a meat tomato <laughs> after your meal. Um, and then Philharmagic live action. So it's the same film, but Not instead awesome. it's live action, scenes from the live action movies. Very nice. Yeah. There you go. Disney by Disney. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you want to join us, get on the Twitter and do hashtag Disney by Disney. As I said, today's topic is closely related to that because we're going to look back at 60 years worth of roller coasters at the U.S. Disney parks. And that's because this year, 2019, marks the 60th anniversary of the very first coaster built at a Disney park, the Matterhorn Bobsleds in Disneyland. And of course, that attraction was just the beginning of an iconic lineup of coasters that would eventually be scattered across the various parks and today we're going to discuss all of them. We're going to work our way chronologically through the Disney coasters, we're going to talk about their impact and their legacy, and as always we're going to give our own thoughts on how well each one succeeds as a Disney attraction. So without further ado let's start at the beginning with the Matterhorn bobsleds which opened in Disneyland on June 14th, 19. 59. Now, it's weird to think about, for me at least, it's weird to think about taking a Disney vacation that doesn't include roller coasters. But when you think back to Disneyland's opening years, for almost four years, it existed with zero roller coasters. Do you guys ever think about how the opening of the Matterhorn impacted the park like did people view the park differently like oh it's not just a family park anymore or did it have insane wait times or anything like that do you ever think about that 
Yeah, I really haven't. That's a good point. Because to me, I'm just like, oh, the Matterhorn is an iconic part of Disneyland. But like you said, it wasn't part of opening day. I'm sure it was a crowd drawler. I mean, it's kind of hard to miss even from outside the park. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's the thing, too. I, I think it changed the whole landscape of the park. Because when Derek and I were there, and I'm sure, Courtney, you probably have a similar thing. When you're trying to orientate yourself to where your current location is while you're in Disneyland... Coming from Walt Disney World, you're like, all right, where's where's the castle? There we go. Okay. Disneyland, you don't do that because mm-hmm. the castle is, is hidden. <laughs> uh, you have to use the kind of the Matterhorn as like your uh, geographical landscape to orientate yourself in the park. So I'm sure it changed a lot because you can see it from literally everywhere. Yeah, I read several reports where it was basically the tallest structure in Anaheim when it was built. Because Anaheim was not quite a metropolis like L.A. was for a long time. Well, and then on top of that, um, of course, you know, back when the when the Matterhorn opened, I imagine that roller coasters were not as intense in general, no matter where they were, as what they uh, are nowadays. When when you don't, when I think most people, when they think of Disney parks and Disney attractions, they don't think necessarily thrills. Um, that's not one of the things that comes you know to mind first. I think you think more of like Cedar Point or even Universal is going to have better coasters in a sense um so the fact that the matterhorn kind of is the first i believe metal uh coaster is that correct uh the first steel tubular coaster yes okay so you know disney was very groundbreaking there and uh brought a thrill to the parks that i'm sure no one had experienced up until that point yeah the reason i ask that it makes it makes me think of a of a park my family grew up going to that is still around called holiday world and i'm sure many of our listeners have heard of it I grew, up, I grew up in southern Illinois, and it was in southern Indiana, about a two-hour drive, and we would go there a lot, and it was mostly a family park with things like the Scrambler and the Tilt-A-Whirl and the Swings and things like that. And I remember when they opened their very first roller coaster, and I remember like talking with my friends at school, like, holy cow, Holiday World's going to have a roller coaster at that tiny park? And that I, I, I can't help but think it was sort of a similar situation with Disneyland, but obviously on a greater level. <laughs> Wasn't that just a just a few years ago that they? Well, just a few years ago was when they got their first like inverted roller coaster. Ah, okay, all right. But their wooden roller coaster came when I was probably in middle school. So hmm. anyway, so let's talk about the history of the attraction for a little bit because this was the first one. So I think we've talked about this before on the show, but Walt had visited Switzerland. Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) Disneyland, Switzerland. I was thinking of two things at once. He had visited Switzerland during the making of the live-action film Third Man on the Mountain. Have either of you seen that? I haven't. I I really need to get more into the live-action catalog. Yeah. So my New Year's resolution is to watch more. I think I'm going to have to add that to my list now that we're talking about it. So he loved Switzerland when he went. He fell in love with the landscape, especially the Matterhorn. And so he sort of developed this idea to bring a toboggan-style coaster to Disneyland that would look like a smaller version of that famous mountain. Now, I didn't realize this, but apparently at the time, you know, when Disneyland opened, Tomorrowland wasn't even ready. And for those first few years, they were still kind of figuring stuff out. So in between... Fantasyland and Tomorrowland, which is where the Matterhorn would go, there was literally a pile of dirt that had been excavated to create the moat around Sleeping Beauty Castle. And they just left this mound in Disneyland, and it became known as Holiday Hill. 
And I guess they added like park benches and they sort of decorated it to make it look like a, an attractive place to spend some time with your family and picnic and things like that. Let me tell you, Walt was so ahead of his time that he knew the future was nothing but dirt. I mean, he <laughs> saw into our time and said, the future is dirt. There it is. Well, apparently it became sort of like a lover's lane, which oh, is not uh -oh. what he wanted. <laughs> so the Matterhorn would basically solve all of these problems. And also it would be built around the central pylon of the Skyway, like the sky buckets that went from Fantasyland to... Where did they... Avengerland? Where did they go? I think Tomorrowland would be my guess if it was heading through the Matterhorn at that point. That's true. Okay, so they stayed... I never realized that. The sky buckets at Disneyland just stayed on one side of the castle. Oh, that's true. You know what I mean? But they also went from Disneyland to... Or sorry, from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland in Walt Disney World. I remember that. Yeah, you're right. But it's. I guess it's a greater distance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyway, all that to say, um, you know, the central pylon was just kind of sticking out. And now if they built this mountain around it, it was sort of mask it from the naked eye. So that was, it was solving like all these problems. And so here we go, 1959, the Matterhorn opens. A few notable milestones and records that it broke. So Jeremy, you mentioned that it was the first tubular steel coaster in the world, which is actually like, to me, very significant that it, it has that about it because it's still around 60 years later um so basically that just means the two rails that it rides on are are circular tubes and the car attaches to it and that way when it flies around corners it hugs the rails and keeps it from flying off and it because disney wanted to accurately portray the smooth feeling of gliding down an icy slope on a bobsled they failed whoa you are so <laughs> right but at least when you're when you're just falling and not turning, it is much more smooth than you don't feel like ah, I can't put it into words, but basically you're coasting as opposed to a track like pushing you, you know? No, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. It does come across as a gliding motion rather than like a wheeled motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it I honestly think it is just it a very literally a coaster. I think once you get to the top of the hill, you just coast all the way down, right? I think so, yeah. I think it, it doesn't have any propulsion except for gravity. Right. Which probably is why it's so rough around some of those corners. Space Mountain is the same way, though. I can confirm that because working there, um, if the ride stops, I had to go and push the rocket. And I'm like 5'2", and had to go push a rocket once, and someone was like, they're going to have you push the rocket. And I'm like, look, I just am here to do that. And I pushed it. And they went so slow down the mountain. I was like, have fun. Bye. <laughs> it, was, it was my gravity working for them. Yeah, so there you go. A completely gravity-powered attraction. Um, another thing it kind of did for the first time is it had two tracks, also like Space Mountain. And they sort of intertwined around each other throughout this mountain. Um, and then there was an air brake system that was sort of new, and there were two or three brakes along the way, and that way you could have more than one car on the track at the same time, because if one stopped ahead, you could still stop the one behind it and be fine, and they wouldn't crash into each other. So all sorts of new things in this 60-year-old coaster back in the day. Uh, Derek, I just want to pause for a second. Um, Courtney introduced me to something a while ago that I don't even think she realized she introduced me to, and that is the Hoopla app. 
um, yes. through your public library. And uh, shout out to it. It's changed my life over these last few months because I'm listening to so many books on tape. But you also can get like um, actual movies and things. And just so you know, Third Man on the Mountain is on the Hoopla app. I just checked it. So check your local library if you're uh, looking for free, free entertainment. I have Apple TV like integrated to mine and there's an app right on there for it. So we've been able to watch just like movies on demand through Hoopla. Oh, I have Apple TV. That's free with your library. Yeah, the, the app is there. Well, it's also, I'm in the middle. I started it and I need to finish it because it goes back tomorrow. Um, the Joe Rohde uh, Snow Leopards documentary that he did Ooh. a couple years ago is on there as well. There and- are a lot of Disney titles. Yeah, Even it's some of those so Disneyland great. episodes, like that Walt hosted. Oh, okay. That's a great tip. I'm going to check it out. Um, so I'm just going to wrap up uh, the Matterhorn discussion here by talking about how, obviously, it's changed a few times in the years uh, to pass. I didn't really realize that the interior wasn't really themed at all when it first opened. Uh, the outside was themed, but then the inside was just very much concrete and rock um, and so years later, they added it, um, more rock work to make it look more believable. Of course, they added the Abominable Snowman at one point. The Skyway holes were filled in partially once the Skyway went away. When it first opened, they were single cars. I also didn't realize that. So Space Mountain and Matterhorn have the two cars that are mm-hmm. connected to each other. Uh, but when it first opened, it was just a single car with two seats that would kind of ride around. So... Anyway, what do you guys, what are your overall thoughts on the Matterhorn 60 years later? I think it's a classic that holds up with its age. I mean, I think maybe for me, I grew up going to Walt Disney World um, because I lived on the East Coast. So like when we finally went to Disneyland for the first time in 2005 for the 50th, that was one of the things that was at the top of my list to experience. And I absolutely loved it. I love um, the Matterhorn as well. I think it's classic, iconic Disney. I love that people scale it, or I don't know if they still do this, but they used to have like the mountaineering climbing on it, which I think is so unique and fun. I love that they put that giant, obnoxious star on top of it around Christmas back in the day and the pictures that you see. I love that there's like the little basketball court thing inside of it, that that was kind of like a Disney urban legend that ended up being true. Um, to me, it's just quintessential Disney, and uh, you, you you can't separate it from the park. You can't separate it from the park's history, from Walt himself, so it needs to be preserved. As far as an attraction goes, um, not my favorite coaster to ride. Uh, I, it hurts me, literally, and um, if you ever need to pass a kidney stone, i probably recommend going on it because <laughs> it'll shake that sucker loose but uh it's it's a fun experience yeah and this shouldn't surprise us but kudos to disney for waiting four years and then when they finally got a coaster it's really unlike anything else you know they gave it a theme they hid it behind this fake mountain and it wasn't just going to be like your typical boardwalk style coaster of the day that is that is so true and i think that's the the takeaway from matterhorn overall is that it's not just a coaster it's a it's an experience it's a theming experience because even nowadays how many companies and how many parks just put up a coaster and yeah there's a quote-unquote theme but you can breeze right through it and never know what that theme is and i'm thinking like and don't don't write me letters uh batman at, at, at the six flags parks like 
Yeah, it's a quote-unquote Batman, and there's like a Batman suit maybe in the queue area. But beyond that, it's not Batman. There's no story being told. There's no uh, integration of any of the characters per se. It's just like putting a sticker on it. Yeah. You're not going to get that with the Matterhorn. It's so true. And think of today, like Disney carries on this tradition of finding new innovations for their attractions. Like think of Fly to Passage. They did something new with that. And then Soarin', they did something new with that. And even all the way back to Matterhorn, they were like, we want to do a coaster, but we want to do it like it's never done before. So we're going to do a steel tubular coaster. So I love this tradition that's gone on and on of, you know, breaking the mold with their rides. I thought Jeremy made a good point about the connection to Walt. I'm thinking through the rest of our roller coasters that we're going to talk about today. Walt was not present for their opening. Like they might have their roots in some of his ideas or storytelling, but this is the only one he got to see. That's so true. Well, Courtney, since you mentioned it, why don't you take us to the next one, which would not open for another 16 years. Yeah, um, so we're going to talk about my favorite, Space Mountain. Um, Space Mountain is a thrilling, high-speed, turbulent roller coaster type ride in the dark that includes sudden sharp turns, drops, and stops. And I had to say that because I feel like I hear it in my dreams as it played (laughs) over and over. Uh, But you're right, uh, Space Mountain didn't open until January 15th, 1975, and that was at Walt Disney World. Now I have a little trivia question for you in terms of Magic Kingdom-style park. Uh, Space Mountain was the first attraction to open that was not, a, oh, not the first, but one of the first to be at Walt Disney World before it was at Disneyland. Do you know what the other attraction is? Country Bear Jamboree. Yes. Country Bear Jamboree opened at Magic Kingdom and then went to Disneyland. So a lot of other stuff came over to uh, Magic Kingdom after or is exclusive to Magic Kingdom. So, like we have Seven Dwarfs Mine Train right, that's not right. at Disneyland. Um, but it does find its roots in Walt Disney kind of history. Walt wanted to create a space ride. He was very interested in the idea of space flight. There's um, some Disneyland episodes like about going to the moon and the flight to the moon attractions. Um, so they say that he had this idea, but unfortunately he never even lived to see the moon landing or the idea come to fruition. But there's some great concept art out there by John Hench. Um, so it has its origins in Walt. But again, didn't happen until kind of the technology caught up to be in the 1970s. Um, If you've ridden the Matterhorn at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Space Mountain, you've probably noticed that the rides are more similar to each other than um, Space Mountain is even to its own California counterpart. It's also a steel tubular roller coaster with a very similar ride vehicle of the three by six at this time. Um, And I read as I was doing some research that stems from scrapped plans to include a Matterhorn in Florida's Magic Kingdom. So I go, this is such a popular ride. Can we bring it there? But ultimately decided to go with something that fit in Tomorrowland, fit the landscape better. I know Jeremy mentioned the castle being so tall. I feel like it would have thrown off the landscape. uh, Oh, my goodness. But that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Because you think this is 16 years later and still they're like, eh, let's basically just do the same coaster. Right. Um, but what's unique about Space Mountain is that computing technology advanced by the 1970s, allowing them to like create this indoor, fully dark track. And it was the first computer-controlled roller coaster and first indoor roller coaster completely enclosed into the dark. There's certainly indoor elements of the, the mountain within the Matterhorn, but you do have those great moments where you go 
outside, but this is, as you know, completely in the dark there. As a young boy, my grandparents went to Walt Disney World um, on vacation, and they came back and were telling stories about their time there. And this is, of course, pre-internet, pre-Jeremy becoming a Parks fan, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I still remember them saying that we, yeah, they had this roller coaster and it's completely inside. And that just blew my mind because I grew up in St. Louis, going to Six Flags St. Louis. And to think about roller coasters, like, how is that fit in a building? Like, how is that possible? It's not possible. So this is truly a unique experience. I think that's one of the most appealing things and memorable pieces about it is that you have no idea what you're getting into. Like you go to Six Flags and you see the 420 foot drop in front of you and you can hear the people "Ah," like going through, but you just see this iconic structure and you're like, what is going to happen? That was the first ride that I took Doug to. He had never been to Walt Disney World before. And he's like, what am I about to get on? I'm like, I'm not telling you anything. (laughs) Do you know anything about the design of the mountain? Not to put you on the spot, but I've never really thought about that. Like, because you could go any direction you want to because it's a fictional thing. And they landed on that. Yeah, I know that the designer is John Hench. And there's an Easter egg to him as you're scaling the main lift that you're going through, like right after you go through the blue tunnel and then you're climbing up to the top, there's the space station X1, and on the side is H and CH, and that's a tribute to him. Um, in terms of like why he went with that style, um, I'm not quite sure. I know it's supposed to represent like a starport out in space, is kind of the story behind it. It's like the airport of the future. So as you enter, you're going through those space station walkways as like a terminal, and you can see the windows to the outside. Um, Then you're boarding your rocket to depart through the galaxy, ultimately returning from your round trip um, and exiting past the different scenes. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it, obviously, it's a very iconic structure now. Like, you, you would, no one, no Disney fan would want to see it change. But I, I it kind of makes me want to see concept sketches of other possible mountains we could have gotten. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, we, I know we're not going to talk about the international parks, but the Space Mountain in Paris is such a unique take on the design because it's very like steampunk, Victorian, retro future theme. So it's, it's interesting to see how that structure kind of has that iconic base, but it's been interpreted um, across the world. The only park that does not have a Space Mountain is Shanghai. All, all the others do. Yeah, yeah. And the one in Paris is has no uh, is not white, correct? I believe it's the only no, one that's yeah. not white. It is copper, though. I believe Disneyland's was briefly like a brownish color during <laughs> that is true. weird retheming of Tomorrowland, but they, they turned it back to its original color. I love those pictures. I think it's like the mid to late 90s when they yeah, did that. Yeah, like rusted almost. Like, why? It was a different time. We just lost Princess Diana. It was <laughs> it's true. It's true. The white is so nice, though. I love just for the holidays, like the different lighting package that happens. Like it'll glow orange or purple at Halloween time or red, blue or green during the Christmas parties. Like there's a lot to work with. Yeah, I agree. Now, can you answer this question objectively? Having worked at Walt Disney World, which one do you like better? Okay. I'm obviously going to say Walt Disney World because I think it's the ori- it's the original. I worked there. Um, I like the thrilling aspect of like, where are we going? Like, which way? There's two different tracks. Disneyland, I think, is a very smooth ride experience. And I enjoy that you can sit next to whoever you're visiting 
with. Um, but I think in terms of thrills, the Walt Disney World one is more thrilling if you're just like looking for like a smooth experience. And the the overlays at Disneyland are pretty unique there. Uh, Disneyland, I didn't really talk about. They opened in two years later, May 27th, 1977. Um, and they do different things like Ghost Galaxy at Halloween time. And when The Force Awakens premiered, they had probably like an 18 month um, overlay, which was Hyperspace Mountain. And I've experienced them both. So it was cool that they have that unique aspect. Yeah, they can get away with it because the speakers are inside the cars, which makes it easier. And also the, they have better technology or better projection capabilities. Yes, and I think that's because there's only one track. So at Walt Disney World, there's the Alpha and Omega tracks, and you're going past, the, even though you can't really tell, you're going past the other cars at the same time. So I think in order, you wouldn't be able to have the same show for each rider if you had, like, you'd be able to see the projections on the other, quote, side of the mountain while you're on your, your own track. Yeah, it's true. But fun fact, the tracks are identical. They're just mirror images of each other. Except the Alpha track is 10 feet longer. 10 feet. And they have a slightly different soundtrack. Yes. Though I always I forget which side, but one of them doesn't have the wee wee wee. Exactly. So sometimes I just say the wee wee. While- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know this every time. I'm like, and I can't remember which one it is. So when we get to that part, I'm like, is it going to be the woo 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 woo? Or is it going to be just like the heavy metal yeah. music? I never know. Yeah, um, in fact, I was Charles and I were a little late yesterday to uh, a gathering at uh, Courtney's uh, invitation because we were waiting in line for Space Mountain, and it ended up being like an hour wait. And just being in that queue, like, I know anytime you're in a queue, it's not fun, but something about that queue is so relaxing to me, even when it's full of people. I think it's just the darkness and the music is so calming, and then... Every now and then, when it, for, it only happens when I'm in Space Mountain, I remind myself, like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, there are people at work, or there's people, like, stuck in a snowstorm right now, or there's people all over the world that, like, dream of riding Space Mountain, and I'm about to do it. Like, that it's just so cool to me. Such a great moment for me. It was hard when kids were not tall enough, and you had to turn them away. Um, but when you had a kid come up, and it's such a rite of passage because you'd measure them and you're like, you made it. And then their dad would be so excited. Like, I remember my first time writing this. Like, you did it. Here we go. And just the joy of getting able to experience it. Yeah. Going back to what you said about how they had thought about putting the Matterhorn in. Again, that makes sense to me because you think the Matterhorn was such a huge hit. And Disneyland had been open for, what, 12 years by this point, And they still opened Walt Disney World without a roller coaster. Yeah, and without Pirates of the Caribbean, like I feel like they were just kind of feeling things out. <laughs> I guess so. The Florida audience won. But I like that there are different things at each park. It true, true. But at both parks, it took, I guess, four years. At both yeah, places, it took right, four years for four. a coaster to come. Hmm. Well, we, we wouldn't have to wait much longer because our third coaster that we're going to talk about came right on the heels of a Space Mountain. And that is on the other side of the Magic Kingdom in Big, uh, excuse me, in Frontierland is Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which was designed by Tony Baxter, uh, iconic Imagineer, and also ride designer engineer uh, Bill Watkins. And this concept came from uh, an idea sparked by Tony Baxter based off of fellow Imagineer Mark Davis's concept of the Western River expansion, which is going to be like the Western themed uh, area at the Magic Kingdom. And there's some concept art that you can look through 
um, if you ever want to look at that. It was supposed to have like this plateau kind of feel, and uh, I think there was going to be rides around it, and one of the things was a mine train type of ride. So that all fell apart because of money, and also they had started the construction for Pirates of the Caribbean at the Magic Kingdom, which took away a lot of the resources that were going to be on the uh, Western River expansion. But Tony was still able to kind of save the mine train idea. Yeah, just I just to correct you, I think it's Western River Expedition. Oh, what did I say? Expansion. I meant Expedition. Yeah, so keep going, keep going. Um, but this again, Big Thunder was put on hold again in 1974 because at this point they had started the construction for Space Mountain over in Tomorrowland. So uh, kind of got shelved again. Eventually it came to fruition first in Disneyland in 1979 and then a little bit larger version of it opened in Florida in 1980. Um, a unique thing about this is um, it was one of the first roller coasters Disney coasters to utilize computer aided design. So they were able to uh, use this new technology called computers to design what the track layout would be and how the cars would be and kind of the overflow. I'm picturing like Tron happening <laughs> on people's computers in Imagineering. Yeah. You see like the 3D and you can like put your fingers on the screen and rotate it and see. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. With like a blue background for whatever reason, it's always blue. Um, but yeah, so Big Thunder Mountain, and again, I talk about the kidney stones over at, um, Matterhorn, but this is absolutely true. In October of 2016, the Journal of the American Osteopathic Association, they published a paper entitled Validation of a Functional Pyloric Renal (laughs) Model of the, basically it was, um, research done that patients had passed kidney stones while while riding Big Thunder Mountain at the Magic Kingdom and the science behind it. So if you do have a kidney stone, you can go there. And the, and the study also found that riding Space Mountain and Rock and Roller Coaster failed to cause it to, to pass. Only Big Thunder Mountain was the one that caused them to actually pass the kidney stone. So it'll knock something loose in you. <laughs> How fascinating. One of my favorite stories of this ride is I don't know, like 2012, 2013, or maybe even later, they redid the track to make it smoother. Because, it, you know, it is kind of, it jolts you a little bit, but not too bad. And Tony Baxter was like, whoa, 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 that's the whole purpose. It's a runaway <laughs> mine train. And he was all fighting for, you know, the roughness of it all and not to smooth it out. Yeah, they've, they've uh, updated a few things. Uh, the queue went through a major overhaul uh, some years ago with a new kind of story put in as far as... Uh, What's his name? Chicken Bullion or whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. Barnabas, Barnabas? T. Bullion? Yeah. That. Those lines. But he um, looks like Tony Baxter. Yeah, it's Tony Baxter. Uh, you know, that he kind of is like the bad guy taking over the town. And there's dynamite now that you can explode while you're waiting in the queue. Uh, honestly, one of the worst queues I've ever been in as far as just the experience overall. I hate that when you feel like a cow, you know, going through the switchbacks and it's hot and people are obnoxious. But anyways, other than that, it's a wonderful ride. We, I think we can all agree Big Thunder is better ridden at night. Yes. Yeah. Um, and better ridden in the back than in the front. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> uh, Big Thunder is definitely one of those rides that you don't get your hopes up too high as an adult, but it grows on you and you, and you learn to love it. Yeah, I ride it now not because of the thrill, but because I think it's beautiful. And I know that sounds so stupid and a little bit pretentious, 
no offense, Space Mountain, but I think Big Thunder is my favorite theme of a mountain. Like, especially at Disneyland, when you have that view of the riverboat coming by and you can walk all the way around Big Thunder Mountain to where they can't really hide anything, you know? They can't disguise the back to look like something else. It has to look like this real mountain in this small frontier town. I mean, it absolutely sells it from top to bottom, and I love it for that reason. And they also have that uh, the ending effects with the dynamite at Disneyland, oh, good. which I really wish they'd bring to the Magic Kingdom. I remember it went down for like a five-month refurbishment, and we're like, are we going to get the boom? Are we going to get the projection? And then it reopened, <laughs> and we had bats hanging from strings. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we got the boom, all right, just not what we expected. Yeah. It is, it is a, I wonder how much space that takes up. Like, I need to look at an overhead view of Magic Kingdom. Because, first of all, it's a long ride. I mean, time-wise, you're on it for a good while. But I feel like it spreads out real far, too. Yeah, yeah especially does. if you're on Tom Sawyer Island. Uh -huh. like, and you can kind of see, like, that whole back half of it from the fort. Yeah, it's huge. I do love, one of the other things that I love about this ride that, um excuse me, attraction, uh, that is not really going to be on anybody's radar. But I love how you just get slammed forward when it comes to a stop at the very end in uh, for unloading. Don't ask me why, but it makes me giggle and uh, just appreciate it every single time. I guess uh, thinking it back with Matterhorn and Space Mountain, they're so similar with the, you know, one 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 seating and the tubular steel. This was a departure from that for the first time. Yeah, it really was. You finally can sit next to somebody. <laughs> or you can be like uh, when I wrote it some years ago and I was supposed to be the only one. And the two people behind me said, oh, there's enough room and squeezed in with me. And we had three riding. Oh, no. <laughs> and there are three adults. And I'm I'm not as nice as I used to be, I guess, because nowadays I'd be like, nope, 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 you, you're in the next train. But at that time I did not. And uh, absolutely we like, not. Absolutely not. No, I could barely do it with two adults who I know very, very well. Yeah, we, we got done, and I'm like, I think we're legally married in some countries. <laughs> All right, well, that's Big Thunder Mountain, like you said, opened in 79 in Disneyland, and it would be another 14 years before either park got the next coaster. And let me tell you, hold on to your horses for this one, <laughs> because it's called Gadget's Go Coaster. I mean, changed coasters <laughs> forever. Uh, no, this opened in January of 1993. It opened along with the rest of Mickey's Toontown, which is was a brand new area back behind Fantasyland in Disneyland. It had a lot of rides themed to, or a lot of areas, I guess, themed to Roger Rabbit, uh, themed to Mickey, Minnie, Donald, stuff like that. This coaster in particular was themed to a character from Chippendale, Rescue Rangers, which aired from March 1989 only until November of 1990. But and they then made lived like, on and reruns. Sure, they made sure. like 300 episodes in that short amount of time, and they're all amazing. Sure, no, I understand, but you, you just think like that's such an iconic part of our childhood, and and it only aired new episodes for like 18 months. But yeah, like you said, reruns aired as part of the very popular Disney Afternoon lineup in the 90s, which 93 was kind of the tail end of that. Yeah. But they opened this coaster and it, it's still there, what, 26 years later. I was I'm... born in 1992 and I definitely watched Chippendale Rescue Rangers. So I think just in its 
repeat viewing. They're like, we're fine. We're just going to air it every day. Listen, I, I am a child of the 90s. This is right in my wheelhouse. I was a Disney afternoon addict. Um, when Derek and I went to Disneyland and we rode this attraction, I was freaking out. I still <laughs> don't know how this exists and, and has remained because there is not a person under the age of 20 today that knows who Gadget is from Chippendale Rescue Rangers. The official Disney Wikia page only has a few sentences about this ride, but it says straight up, most people don't know who the character is, and when they hear Gadget's Go Coaster, assume it's Inspector Gadget. I'm like, well, that's, wow. a, that's a fun fact, I guess. <laughs> wow, are you serious? Wow, that blows my mind, because how can you not know who Gadget is? No, I love this, and the only, like, the only reference to Chippendale Rescue Ranger is a little bit of signage, if I remember right, in the, in the loading area. There's like a picture of Gadget. But, uh, in fact, I took my picture with it. If I made you take my picture. But, um, it, yeah, this, how, how has this remained? I mean, this is just like a little treasure in the back of the park that <laughs> has flown under the radar. Yeah, I mean, it's remained because it takes up zero real estate, basically. It's, it's the shortest ride at Disneyland. Um, well, Disney World listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, think the Barnstormer. Uh, which we'll get to, obviously. It's that same kind of thing. Like, it's a, for children, almost exclusively. Uh, it, it lasts maybe 18, 20 seconds. Uh, but but it is it does have a nice little theme. I think the ride vehicles are acorns, if I remember correctly. And it's got some oversized props all around. So, like, oversized soup cans. I remember the frog that squirts water at you at the end. Yeah, it's a perfect, I mean, it's going to be Toy Story eventually, because this is just like prime Toy Story area, but, or theming. But yeah, this is amazing. Um, it, I, I just, again, I would love for them to sell more merchandise. I would love to see more people jump on like the nostalgia wagon and, and root on this attraction to remain, because it's time, it's lived on borrowed time for the last 20 years. Yeah, no, I agree with that. This is kind of the first coaster. Like, I don't think about these things until you talk about all the coasters in a row. But this is kind of the first coaster where they're like, eh, it can look like other coasters that exist. We'll throw a little bit of theming here and there. As opposed to building an entire mountain around it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... I think they did that on purpose because they wanted children to see it. And, like, it's not going to be too intimidating for them if you see the actual track. And if it was inside, like a space mountain, you'd be like, uh-uh, I don't know what's in there. I ain't doing that. It's, um, it's, listen, I'm not insulting it. I'm just saying this literally is the first roller coaster that's not built inside a mountain. Yeah. Total side note, um, speaking of children of the 90s as we are, I was at Animal Kingdom recently and just browsing through some of the shops in Africa. And slap bracelets are coming back. Are you all aware of this? I think I saw one by the register at Disney Days of Christmas in Disney Springs, and Doug was checking out, and I just kept playing with it. I was like, I, bracelet! Oh, my gosh! I was like, I mean, I almost bought it. Like, I was that <laughs> impressed. I was like, no, no, slap bracelets? So, uh, hashtag stoked. I mean, fanny packs are already back, and I'm rocking them, so... Uh, just because you're wearing fanny packs does not mean they're back. <laughs> oh, they are, they are so back. No, they really they are. They are so back. And and I actually Derek doesn't like my belly. Most people don't like my my belly uh, fanny pack. So I got a new fanny pack for Christmas. That is uh, 
much more sleek and understated. So I actually saw one at the parks that I like. Like it's fake leather and it's got the old Mouseketeer symbol on the front. Oh really? Yeah, Ooh. they just started selling it. I think for his birthday probably. Mickey's. See, I think I think fanny packs are gonna be my thing. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll start an Instagram account. Those, those Instagram accounts work out so well for you. <laughs> That's true. You're, every now and then, I, somebody reminds me I have like the pretzels one. I'm like, oh yeah, I should post something on there. <laughs> well, speaking of gadgets, go coaster and this type of ride, Courtney, you want to take us to the next one? Sure. Um, so we're talking about the Barnstormer at Goofy's Wiseacre Farm, which is now known as the Barnstormer starring the great Goofini. And this ride opened in October 1st, 1996, alongside Mickey's Toontown Fair. Um, but I was kind of curious, Toontown Fair has an interesting history, so I wanted to know what was there before. Um, so the area was previously Mickey's birthday land, um, opened in the 80s to celebrate what would have been his 60th birthday at the time. Then the birthday promo was over, so it became Mickey's Starland, and then eventually evolved into Toontown Fair, which is the countryside retreat of the Fab Five and the rest of their cartoon pals. Um, since, as you said, there's already their permanent residence in Disneyland's Toontown. Um, in this land, they have like their other homes and other friends there. Um, there was previously, in the other iterations, an attraction called Grandma Duck's Petting Farm, home to the famous Minnie Moo. She was a cow that had a Mickey Mouse spot on her side. You're looking like you've never heard of this. I had, that's new. Everything you said so far, I know, except Minnie Moo. Minnie Moo was a cow that was born and her spots made a not-so-hidden Mickey, and she went over to Walt Disney World. Uh, when the farm closed, she went over to Fort Wilderness and lived out the rest of her days, dying of natural causes, I think, in the early 2000s. I want to pause and talk about how there's, like, a toontown for animals, but also a petting farm, and, like, what are the implications? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but Grand Grandma Duck had her petting farm, and the reason I talked about that is because when that closed, the barn facade was used as part of the roller coaster track. So it was the barn somewhere at Goofy's Wiseacre Farms. Like, well, we have this great facade. Let's keep some of that as we build out the track. Um, so the ride would go through the barn. I remember being in the queue at that time. And there were like anima animatronic chickens that would react as the coasters went through. Um, and then eventually it turned into the Barnstormer starring the great Dufini. It closed in February 2011 with the rest of Toontown and reopened, renamed on March 12, 2012 as part of the Storybook Circus section in the new Fantasyland expansion. And at this time, the barn facade at the front was removed, um, but the rest of the track wasn't altered. Though notably, they flipped the exit and the entrance of the queue. So now, like, when you exit the coaster, you used to board from that side and exit where the entrance is now. Uh, but again, very similar to Gadgets. It's a brief coaster, like, clocking in close to only 60 seconds. Um, very small height requirement, 35 inches, so very family-friendly. I would have to say it is a great coaster for small kids. It's a brief runtime, a limited height. It's not going to satisfy big thrill-seekers, but it's fun for people who have small kids. Um, I kind of always overlook it now. I definitely enjoyed it as a kid. Like I was the prime age when it opened, um, but we traveled recently with friends 
whose kids were five and seven and the kids loved this ride and they kept asking can we get another fast pass for the barnstormer can we get another fast pass for the barnstormer and i'm over here like we could do space mountain or <laughs> big thunder uh, but i think it was a nice reminder of like the appeal like not all attractions are for you there's different age groups to appeal to yeah i mean how many kids out there was this their first roller yeah. coaster very yeah. true okay random question when you gave the spiel for Space Mountain, you said roller coaster like. Do you know? Do all the other ones say that as well? Are there any that actually call themselves a roller coaster? I just know that spiel because it was on the side, on the sign in front of the ride, and it played over and over in the queue. Um, it's interesting, right? I didn't really think that they called a roller coaster type ride, but I guess that must be the the standard language across. Yeah. I mean, because to me. This is a roller coaster. They're type ride. <laughs> yeah. I assume a rock and roller coaster is considered a roller coaster. I would think so. Yeah. But I feel like Disney puts that in there to be like, oh, it's not just your typical roller coaster. Yeah. We've plussed it. I don't know. Maybe. Anyway. All right, Jeremy, you teased it. Yeah. But should we move on? Yeah. Wait a minute. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> because now we're going over to Rock and Roller Coaster over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And when it opened, it wasn't Hollywood Studios. It was Disney's MGM Studios. And um, this opened five years after Tower of Terror opened. So when Tower of Terror opened, which this is an interesting history as well. When Tower of Terror opened, it was literally one drop. Um, you climb to the top, you drop the 13 stories, and then you exited. Um, like, less than 30 seconds. So, when your main park attraction is less than 30 seconds, um, that kind of leaves the people wanting more. So, Tower of Terror has gone on its own little history of, of expanding and changing the, ex the ride experience. But Rock and Roller Coaster, one of the things I was reading was that they wanted it to be a longer experience. But it's still only 72 seconds long, like from the time you launch to the time that you come into the final uh, scene. So you're on the coaster a very short time. It's a very slow ride. Um, that surprises me. Yeah, me too. Um, I could not find any sort of history dealing with how they settled on Aerosmith, um, which I would be fascinated to know like what other bands were considered like how did they pick Aerosmith we talked about this wasn't it the Rolling Stones at one point yeah I do remember that piece of history but even that I feel like has never been confirmed by Disney that's always just been one of those things that's like un like a known thing but uh, you know, it's in the same way that there's a lot of stuff that has never been confirmed but anyways still even Rolling Stone like I want to be in the room because neither of those bands are what I would consider Disney brand. <laughs> like, like Steven Tyler is not the kind of person you want your five-year-old emulating in life. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm, he's a nice guy. I'm a fan. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I just don't see how they settled on, on Aerosmith. But they did. And this attraction opened, uh, like I said, in 1999. Open to much fanfare. In fact, one of the things that Disney did was they held a contest for fans of Aerosmith to actually ride the attraction with the band. And so they had members of the band each in the stretch limos, and there was, I think, like 300 winners or something like that, and they all got to ride with one of the band uh, 
personality. Now, my luck, I'd be like, hey, do I get Steven Tyler? No. Do I get Joe Perry? No. You get, you know, Frank, the drummer, or whoever it is. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Um, but the cool thing about this is uh, the launch is the fastest experience at, no, excuse me, behind Test Track, it is the second fastest experience. Goes zero to 62 miles an hour, I believe, in like half a second or something like that. You experience five Gs which they claim is uh, more than a rocket launch for NASA, which is only a 3G experience. So that feeling of your heart slamming into the back of your spine, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's those five Gs there when you take off. Overall, the rest of the ride is um, kind of unimpressive when you think about it. There is a corkscrew and like, I think there's only one corkscrew, right, throughout the rest of the attraction. You don't really go upside down except on that first, I first think launch. There's at least two inversions, but yeah, only one of them. Maybe a go- there's like maybe a full loop, mm-hmm. a corkscrew. Okay, yeah. I think other than that, yeah, you're right. But the the best is that the launch, the launch yeah. with the G's that sends you straight into an inversion. And for half a second, you don't know if you're up, down, or sideways. You have no idea where you are oriented to, to this world. That is that is the highlight of this attraction by far. Yeah, I think it was Matt who described this attraction as like you launch, and you're like, oh my gosh, and then the rest of the attraction, everybody's like, woo! Yeah, woo! Aerosmith, loving and Yeah, listen, there is a theme. Don't get me wrong. This ride has a theme. The alley looks great. I believe I'm in an alley, but this feels like the first time where they said we want a thrilling attraction, and the theme came after that. Well, I think, I think th- again, I would love to hear like an oral history of the Imagineers who were who were involved with this because you had Tower of Terror, which was really a different step for them, like as far as an attraction type, and it was wildly popular. And then MGM always felt like a non-Disney park as far as what it was offering. So I felt like they 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 felt like they could step out of their comfort zone. So and they're like, well, you know, Universal Studios is opening, and one of the things that they're highlighting is these coasters, and they got the mummy coaster and all this kind of thing. Let's go in that direction, and uh, I feel like that's what they were going for. But who knows? I, I feel like they could take a. They, they felt like they could go more towards your teenager rather than your child. And honestly, like all these coasters we're talking about are so spaced apart. But I kind of have always liked that about Disney, where they're not just like, let's just build another roller coaster. People love roller coasters. They've taken their time and make sure they have a good idea for one before they move forward with it. Yeah. Now, it sounds like we're poo-pooing on this, but I think all three of us would say we're fans of it. So, Oh, yeah. Love I it. Like it. Absolutely have to ride it every time I'm there. Agreed. Agreed. And, it, and the, the pre-show has become so kitschy and so wonderful. <laughs> like, you almost can't imagine Hollywood Studios without it. Now, that one, I prefer the front. I know we said the back was better for Big Thunder, but I like to be up at the front for that launch. Interesting. Kind of just, you can't really see where you're going. Yeah, like you have the, nothing void. in front of you. So um, my nephew and niece are going to go not too long from now, and I know my nephew is tall enough to ride it, but I know for a fact, if he gets in line, and as soon as you get into the alley where you can see it zoom, he's going to be like, Nope, not in a million years am I getting on that thing. Because it's super intimidating. When it counts down, and then it's... Yeah, um, 
<laughs> I think we, we have a friend, uh, David, who we went with, who was the same way. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And he was like 25. So, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? All right, well, over in Disneyland, they also got a launch coaster just two years later. It was February 8th, 2001, a date known not only for the opening of this coaster, but for the opening of an entire new park. When Disney's California Adventure opened on February 8th, part of it was Paradise Pier, which was the sort of boardwalk-themed area made to look like a California boardwalk. And included in that area was a coaster. And it was called California Screamin'. Interestingly, it is built of steel, but when you look at it, it looks like it's wooden because it was made to mimic the look of wooden coasters that were popular on boardwalks, you know, back in the day. But it is a steel coaster. Um, this is this is so fascinating to me. And this was, as we were making this list, this was the first time it occurred to me. But when you look back, you see that one park got a coaster and then the other park would basically get something similar. So you think Matterhorn and then Walt Disney World got Space Mountain. And then Disneyland got Big Thunder, so Walt Disney World got Big Thunder. And then Disneyland got Gadget's Go Coaster, so Walt Disney World got the Barnstormer. And then Walt Disney World got Rock and Roller Coaster, so Disneyland got California Screamin'. And to me, that's such a pattern. It's kind of like when you, you know, I imagine parents with children, like... <laughs> we got, you know, we got uh, Bernice uh, a bike, so now we got to get Franklin a bike, you know? Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Um, but to me, like, ro- Rock and Roller Coaster was more fun. Yeah, agreed. Listen, I like California Screaming. I like the um, the overall ride is fun. Um, the music is really fun as well. Mm-hmm. You they, mean it was? I would say it was. You know, <laughs> even with, like, the... Uh, you know, the Neil, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, who I know Derek is a huge fan Good of stuff. and loves everything he's ever done. Um, but now they've, they've totally ruined it all. So. Yeah, let's talk about the original ride first. So, um, you know, DCA, we, we had an episode about it back in the day that was all about how uninspired, basically, this park was right from the start. And I think the overall thought of California Screaming when it opened was the same. Like, it's uninspired. It looks like... I know that the theme is it's supposed to look like a boardwalk, but you've also just given us a boardwalk that we could go to. But I think people seem to enjoy it. I mean, it's still a good coaster. It is the longest coaster. Uh, Actually, here are some facts. Let me tell you. It is the longest coaster in the world to have an inversion. Really? Yeah. And it is a long coaster. I mean, you're on it for, what, three, three and a half minutes? That's true. I never realized. I kind of forgot I had an inversion, if you want to know the truth. Yeah. Um, and there's, and I can't picture what it is, but there's a design right where the inversion is, or there was. There was a, well, it started as a, no, it was a Mickey first. Okay, I thought that was to the left of the hill, but you, or the inversion. The Mickey was in the inversion, and there was a sun on the Ferris wheel. Uh Uh-huh. And then when they redid some of the theming of Paradise Pier... They flipped it because it became Mickey's Fun Wheel, so you can't have a giant Mickey right next to another giant Mickey. So then they put a sun there. But is it the Pixar ball now, I want to say? Or is it the Pixar Pier logo? Maybe both? I No, I think you're right. I think it's a logo. But yeah, when they changed it to the sun, they also added the words Paradise Pier. That was back in like 08, 09, I'm not sure. Um, also, this is the fastest ride at Disneyland Resort. It goes 50 miles per hour, 55 miles per hour. 
and it is the third longest steel coaster in the United States. So it's still breaking records, you know, here in 2019. Um, but yeah, it was called California Screaming. I actually like this the more I ride it. I think the first time we rode it, Jeremy and I were expecting rock and roller coaster speeds, and it's just not that jolting. But it's just pleasant, you know, like it's smooth, it goes on for a long time, plenty of hills, plenty of curves, plenty of good views of the park, um, and the music does make a big difference. But then just last year, in 2018, on June 23rd, it reopened after being down for a long time. And it is now the Incredicoaster. Uh, so I guess you could... No, you can't. No, I was going to say you can call it Disney's newest coaster, but it's not because we're going to talk about one later that opened after it. Uh, but Courtney, tell us your thoughts on the Incredicoaster. Sure. Well, first, okay. before, before we do that, um, I just looked up on Instagram, hashtag Pixar Pier. And uh, Scott underscore D land 55, little plug for him, uh, <laughs> posted this picture of an hour, about an hour ago, of Incredicoaster. And what is currently in the inversion, it says Pixar Pier with the Pixar Ball. Wow. All right. Best I, of both worlds. I had them both in there. Yeah. All right. I'm going to come to the Incredicoaster's defense a little. I know you guys have had that discussion. There was a lot of criticism off in the Twitter sphere um, where they've added the some Incredibles elements with the different characters, um, but there's some criticism that the figures were static and they don't really move. But I have to say, I think I went in with my expectations being low because of what I had read online but for me, it didn't matter that they weren't moving because it goes so fast. Like, you don't really, you wouldn't have the time for it to process because you just kind of zoom by them. Um, but the audio works really well. It syncs up nicely with, like, the show elements that you are seeing. And we wrote it both during the daytime and at night. And much like Big Thunder, I think it is absolutely amazing and you have to go at night because some of the show elements are a little easier to see there's lighting effects that are involved and so when you have more of that darkness that envelops the tunnels it's a lot easier to take it all in so i think it was fun you know if they're gonna go that direction they did an appropriate job of incorporating it yeah you know i've heard that from a lot of people so i'm glad to hear you agree so there you go if you go to disneyland resort the coaster is still there but it's called Incredicoaster now. And yeah, still Michael Giacchino, the score. Oh, nice. He's the one who scored the Incredibles film, right? But he also, you're saying, did California Screaming? Right, the most, the latest and final version of the score that played on California Screaming, which was redone several times, but the, the most recent one before it went away was Michael Giacchino, and it was great. And, and I think Disneyland sells it on some of their albums. So Very it's nice. a good one. All right, so taking us to a, another Disney California Adventure opening day attraction, we have Mulholland Badness, now known as Goofy's Sky School. And that also opened with the park on February 8th, 2001. Now, I had to look this one up because I wasn't familiar with this source. I believe I wrote it when I went to California in 2005, but really just didn't pay attention to the theme. Um, I definitely rode Goofy's Sky School. I have a much more vivid memory of that since it was only a few months ago that I went. Um, but I knew the original theme of Disney's California Adventure was quite literally California with limited Disney elements. 
throughout, but this reference escaped me. I was like, what is Mulholland? Uh, so I looked it up, and the name is in reference to Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles, California. And for the theming here, the original ride vehicles looked like different kind of cars. Now, this is a wild mouse type roller coaster. So think tight turns, quick drops, um, and very small vehicles, like two seats and two rows. Um, so there are different kind of cars, like maybe a police patrol car, one of those like surfer wagon type thing. So nothing uniform across them, just little vehicles. Uh, going through. Uh, but kind of, I guess, this didn't really resonate with a lot of people. <laughs> and part of the retheming of Paradise Pier, the first time they rethemed it, they went with a more familiar concept, and that is the character of Goofy. Um, so Goofy Sky School is based on a 1940s cartoon short called Goofy's Glider, but also has some elements reminiscent of his famous how-to cartoons. Um, but I found out that it was interesting that they've now rethemed the area again and it's Pixar Pier, but it is still Goofy Sky School, so he's holding out over there in the corner. That part. Uh, I would say it's kind of, you know, like the barnstorm where it's going to be kid-friendly, but I'd say this is a little more thrilling because it is that wild mouse time, so you're going to have more height on the coaster and like those quick sharp turns where like, you feel like you're going to come off of the, the edge of the track there. Uh, have you guys done this one? Yeah. We did. Yeah. I think Bill Farmer's narration makes the attraction. True. Doug would like me to point out that this is like Primeval World, but without the spin effect. So if you've yes. been to Animal Kingdom, it's the very similar track layout. Yeah, which goes back to my pattern of Disneyland getting something. So then Disney World gets basically the same thing, but with yeah. a little bit of a difference. As uh, Courtney just alluded to, this attraction is very similar to an attraction that we have here in Florida, and that is Primeval World over at Disney's Animal Kingdom. And the only difference is it spins at, at, uh, at uh, <laughs> in, in Dino Land there. Um, this, again, a kind of a cookie-cutter attraction that you can find at any local fair, I guess you could say. So there's not much interesting about this attraction uh, other than it's exactly what you can ride at Goofy Sky School, only this time it's themed to uh, the, the roadside carnival that uh, the dinosaurs are becoming extinct. I guess overall it's kind of cute and kitschy, kitschy when you understand uh, Chester and Hester's Dino Land as a whole. But, uh, you know, take it or leave it, it's there. Another one that I find kids really like maybe it's just the fact that as Derek brought up like when they can see it they know what they're getting into and it's just thrilling enough for their age um my boyfriend Doug and I took one of our friend's kids to the park and he's about seven and it was you know probably like September not too crowded really minimal weight for this ride and he wanted to ride it like four times in a row and after the second time I was like Doug you gotta stick with him I can't <laughs> do it Again, I'm going to sit on this bench and wait for you guys because that was enough spinning for me. But he was just he just wanted to ride it over and over again. You know what? There is something about it. I remember Jeremy riding it with you and Matt for the first time. And we just giggled the whole time because it does like it does. You just don't realize how like abrupt every single thing it does is going to be like every drop, every turn, every spin. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, you I definitely feel like you're about to fall over the edge at any moment. Yeah. I like at the very end, they're just like three small little, like almost like speed bumps that you go over, but it's just a fun, like 
unexpected ending to it. Yeah. I mean, when the line is 45 minutes long, I'm not going to wait in that. But if it's a short line, like, I always enjoy it. I come off being glad I read it. Um, but th- also the seating's a little different, you know, because you, you sit all beside each other. Which, you know, as opposed to, like, two rows is what I mean. It's like a little semicircle. So I always find it awkward when you sit with strangers, you know? Because you put, like, two two groups of two. Yeah, because it's almost like you're you're seated at a circle booth together mm-hmm. or something. Then Derek can't squeal like a girl like he uh, and be his true self. And it's got to be tough. That's right. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking when I said that. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Animal Kingdom's first coaster but just four years later they would get something much bigger uh much more state of the art uh much better themed in my opinion i don't think anyone would disagree with that but who am i to say uh and it was expedition everest it opened on april 7th 2006 which is okay so april 7th 2006 was what like almost 13 years ago oh my gosh right but what's fascinating to me is that the coaster was first announced on April 22nd, 2003, during an event celebrating the fifth anniversary of the park. Oh. And, and to me, like, when I think about it, Everest opened way after the park did. Well, close to 10 years. I mean, it's eight years at that point. That's true. It's eight years. But to me, it's like they were already talking about it when the park was only five years old. I remember we used to get... Disney Magazine, which was a quarterly publication, kind of like the precursor to the G23 magazines that come out now. And I remember like it happened, like I feel like it stopped publishing shortly after 2003. But I remember seeing just like a piece of concept art for Expedition Everest. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. And it said opening 2006. And I was like, wow, that feels so far away. And it kind of was. Yeah, no, really. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, it took so long to build that structure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And then the animatronic, which was going to be state-of-the-art. Like, they really put a ton of money, a ton of time. All their best Imagineers, I'm sure, went in to this coaster. And this would be the first time since 1979 with Big Thunder Mountain, the first time that an attraction would once again, or a roller coaster, would once again go inside a mountain. And to me, this is very much a nod to the Matterhorn specifically. Yeah. Because you have a snowy mountain, you have a Yeti, you know, just a lot of similarities there. Uh, But this is 2006. Of course, we've talked about Expedition Everest. The story is that it's this passenger train that offers you a route through the Himalayas and you're going to eventually end up at the base of Mount Everest so you can climb it. But then your journey gets interrupted by this giant Yeti. Um... Once again, a coaster at Disney is doing new and exciting things. For the first time, you're going to go backwards on this attraction. Of course, I'm not including Maelstrom, because we went backwards on that, too. Uh, but for a coaster, that was new. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the tallest of Walt Disney World's artificial mountains. Uh, we rode this for the first time in the dark the other day, uh, Expedition Everest, and uh, cha- Game Changer. Game changer absolutely i love it at night uh but you, you know you you can see just from this mountain alone how far imagining imagineering has come since they built the matterhorn because the matterhorn they had this idea to build this mountain 
and it would look like a mountain from the outside. But other than that, like that was basically it. They said even the inside wasn't even themed that much until later. But here they're taking trips to the Himalayas to research the culture and the architecture and the art. And they're going to recreate, recreate all of that all the way down to the queue. Uh, the trains themselves are these repurposed quote unquote tea trains that transported tea to this fake land in Nandapur. Um, every detail in this queue, every detail in the mountain, the audio animatronic was the most state-of-the-art audio animatronic for its time. I think it's a very smooth... <laughs> for about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's still state-of-the-art, it just doesn't work. Um, it's way smoother, obviously, than Matterhorn, or really any coaster Disney has built up to this point. Very true, yeah. This, uh, this to me is just so wonderful and has aged so gracefully and joe Rody continues to be the genius that he is because of this kind of experience this is really embarrassing but i think it speaks to just how well themed this coaster is i was scrolling through facebook the other day and i saw this picture from a girl that i went to college with like you know you stay friends but not really in touch with each other but she popped up and I saw like these colorful prayer flags and a mountain in the background. I was like, oh, is she at Disney? No, she was actually in Nepal. No. For <laughs> yoga retreat. I was like, oh, whoops. I automatically, I get, it just, I think those shows, like those prayer flags and the different elements of the culture were really captured in that the queue itself is just as well themed as the coaster. I agree. I feel like this is one I hear about a lot from Disneyland regulars. Mm -hmm. who say when they finally get a chance to come to Walt Disney World, one of their favorite things to do is Everest, just because it's so different from anything that's over there. Also, taking us back to 2006, I do remember, I'm sure they weren't the actual first people to ride it, but what they put that out, out there on the promos, this is a testament to its time, was the cast of High School Musical. Like, I remember no. like Zach Efron, Vanessa Hudgens, Corbin Blue, there, it was all of them on the coaster and they did one of those like in between shots on on disney channel at the time but they were huge in 2006 that's like, true that peak high school musical time yeah that's interesting i i've also seen pictures of the the press campaign or the promotional campaign that they did in Times square i want to say where they hung that huge banner just stories and stories tall with the yeti on it and it was just like this very vague reference to this coaster that was coming and you can find pictures of that online but it's kind of neat that they went to those extremes yeah, it was a big, big deal for them. Big deal. And still is. Still one of my favorite attractions in all of Walt Disney World. At the greatest park. There you go. Um, it did take some time to get another coaster, though. You know, like, like, when we start looking at the dates, some of these are few and far between. The next coaster at Walt Disney World did not come until eight years later, which is Seven Dwarfs Night Train and is... Also, the most recent coaster at the Magic Kingdom. Um, it opened on May 28th, 2014. And this was one of the last elements of the new Fantasyland expansion to be completed. I believe New Fantasyland kind of opened in phases starting in late 2012. And this opened in 2014 on the former site of the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea Submarine Voyage, which had closed 20 years earlier in 1994. So wow. quite a bit of time to kind of use that vacant space um 
the lagoon was there for a bit, filled in with the children's Winnie the Pooh playground, and that was there from 2005 to 2010. And then the playground was moved into the queue of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh right across the way in preparation for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. So in the works for a while there. Uh, but when you're on the ride, you board a mine car and travel through uh, Snow White's Enchanted Forest to the Dwarfs Mine, where all seven of them are in anima- animatronic form. And this was the introduction of a new type of animatronics with the projected faces and animated expressions rather than just robotic features on the face. Um, I think at the end of the ride, there is a nice nod to the now defunct Snow White Scary Adventures, which closed right before the new Fantasyland attractions opened. Um, kind of they're like, we don't need two Snow White rides. Um, so the animatronics where they're doing the yodel dance and song, um, they are now recycled for the ending scene where you pull up right next to Snow White's uh, cottage. Love that. It's a fun one. This is still popular. Um, The wait times are definitely going to be over an hour because, as I said, it is the newest at Magic Kingdom. But you were saying how smooth Expedition Everest was, and I believe the same thing is true here. Like, just such a very, like, smooth experience, not going to jostle you around. You know, Mine Train, Big Thunder Mountain, they both have that mine theme, but two very different experiences. Agreed. And this was kind of the first hybrid like dark ride yeah. coaster experience, which is kind of cool. It is super popular. Don't lean over the rails and drop your phone. <laughs> I would just like to uh, give that a hot tip for this ride. I mean, what is there What is there to say about this one, really? Like, it's it's pleasant. <laughs> Here's the yeah. thing. It's pleasant, but is it? it's not worth the 60-minute-plus queue, in my humble opinion. I know. I want to get... I want to interview a kid about this. Like, after they wait the long ride, after the long time, do they come off saying, that was the most amazing roller coaster I've ever been on? I don't know. Yeah. I would often ask children at Space Mountain, like, what their favorite ride... You know, if you're just making conversation as, like, you're waiting to put them on the ride, I'd be like, oh, like, what's your favorite coaster? A lot of them would say Expedition Everest. So Mine Train was open by the time that I was working at Space Mountain. And I think they do enjoy Mine Train, but, you know, that waiting might play into it. Because that was certainly a hot ticket to get for Fast Passes. Well, I also, I wonder, does does, does capacity on this ride and, and load times just pale in comparison to other rides? Because how is this attraction always so long compared to the other coasters in the Magic Kingdom? Well, I think attraction wait times are demand divided by capacity. So even if it has a high throughput, if it's the newest thing, if you haven't been to the park in, let's say, three years, you're like, this is definitely on my must-do. So we're going to wait no matter what. True. I just can't see the average tourist, though, uh, who hasn't been there in three years. I know that, you know, doing Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is a must, but I can't see them also skipping Space Mountain, you know. True. Because they've done it before. Because it's so good. Yeah. (laughs) Would your viewpoint of this attraction change if it were a dark ride? Like if all the dark ride scenes were there and it was the same, but it wasn't advertised as a coaster? What do you mean? Like change in what regard? So, I don't know. For me, I'm just like, it's nice. It's it's pleasant. Because the coaster elements don't feel like a coaster to me. They just kind of feel like a sort of speedy train, which it is called a mine train, which is fair, but... It does start you, like, you're like, all right, coaster, and then you do, you very much slow down and just 
yeah. go through that middle portion, and then they're like, and we have another hill. And yeah, whereas I feel like maybe if they advertise it as a dark ride, I'd be like, man, these animatronics are crazy good. It's such a good dark ride. I don't know. It's very reminiscent to uh, Atlantis over at SeaWorld. As far as you got a little bit of a thrill, but then there's it slows you down. Have you all ridden Atlantis? You know, I haven't. I've been to SeaWorld once, but it was closed for refurbishment when we went. Hmm. Um, you know, it has that sort of same feel, and Atlantis came long before Seven Doors My Train. So. <laughs> well, we've definitely been the less enthu- the least enthused about this <laughs> of all the ones we've talked about, but it's it's still worth riding. I can't tell you the last time I rode Seven Doors Mine Train. One because I never. There's never a fast pass available for it. And two, I'm never going to wait more than 45 minutes for it. That's just not worth the experience to me. Um, so honestly, it's been a long time since I've ridden it. Yeah, I think that's where I am too. All right, our final coaster. The newest coaster at Walt Disney World just opened this past June of 2018. And that is Slinky Dog Dash over at uh, Hollywood Studios. In the new Toy Story Land area, um, this is advertised more as a family coaster, so it's not going to be your high-speed thrill that uh, your rock and roller coaster is going to be. Um, I think the height requirement is actually only like, uh, yeah, 38 inches, so a lot shorter than some of the other attractions' um, height requirements. Um, Interesting fact, the the only attraction that features uh, voices of characters that are now dead people jim varney and i was like when did they king off kill off slinky no no, i meant i meant their their original voices have passed away (laughs) in the toy story universe okay so the voice you hear on the coaster is jim varney no so that's a voiceover person Uh, but jim varney was the original voice is what i mean and then robert goulet who was the voice of wheezy and uh now it's somebody who tries to sound like robert goulet which i thought was interesting or at least sings robert goulet um but anyways, uh, yeah, it's a nice coaster. They recently took off the tails um, because apparently that was a safety hazard. Did you all see that? No, stop it. You didn't. How did you miss this? Derek, it was all over the tweeter. You mean like uh, the one tail that's attached to the back car? Yes. Apparently they were like in danger of falling off. So Slinky doesn't have a tail anymore. Oh, my gosh. Well, we noticed the last time we rode it that the, the, the sort of handrails, which they're not really handrails because they're actual handrails, but then in between the cars, there are those, like, semicircle... It's the, it's the springs, basically. They cover them with those cloth coverings, and they're all, like, ripped to shreds already. Yeah, that didn't seem like a good idea. But the theme of this is that you're in Andy's backyard and uh, Andy's toys and all this kind of stuff. And so he has bought this, or he is not, I don't know, I mean, he got a gift or something. It's called Dash and Dodge Mega Coaster Kit. And he has decided to use his Slinky Dog toy as the ride vehicle. And um, friend of the show, Terry, had a brilliant observation of, why am I riding this if it was built by a, a little boy with <laughs> leftover parts? <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, because all the whole queue has all the parts he didn't use. And it's like, no, 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 no. You should have used all these parts. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I I think I remember this correctly. Are we supposed to be Andy's toys while we're in Andy's backyard? You are shrunk down to the size of a toy. and never forget that. Yeah. Okay, but you are yeah. not a toy. <laughs> yeah, that's the uh, that's the not so famous quote from Woody. You are not a toy. 
<laughs> no, but isn't all of the communication like shrink down to the size of a toy? Yeah, everything. Yes, we're always being shrunk, <laughs> and never enlarged, but shrunk. Uh, but anyways, the um, so you're you're now riding there. The ride can accommodate up to four trains at a time, and because this is new and shiny, it always does have quite a long long queue as well. But it moves quickly, I find. It does, and and I will say, I I rode this a long time after it opened was my first ride um i'd seen it but never never wanted to manage the queue finally in fact with derek and terry we got in the queue and it exceeded my expectations yeah it's crazy to me that in 2018 they still found ways to do things with the coaster that i personally had never really experienced before i mean not to give away all the little surprises but i do think they found that perfect balance of like yes it's it's good for kids but a Adults don't mind riding it over and over again, too, because it's got some a few thrilling elements to it. Yeah, and the one part where it, like, pulls you back, where, mm-hmm. you know how you used to, like, pull back toys and then let them go? Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's a nice touch. Yeah. I like, at the launch, the that tilt. Like, if you're on the left side of that car, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm leaning pretty far over right at the beginning where you go up that, that hill. I was definitely, as well, surprised by... A little, like, how thrilling, because it kept getting billed as a family coaster. So I'm like, okay, is that, like, on the Barnstormer scale? Are we are we still in that mine train area? But I'd say it's more thrilling than both of those, for sure. Me too. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, like, five years from now. Toy Story Land is, is opened and seasoned. Star Wars Land is starting to kind of cool down. And that's going to be a walk-on. And that's going to be when it's going to be really enjoyable. Hmm, that'd be nice. Yeah. I could see that. Because even Everest at the end of the night nowadays, nothing. Oh, yeah. That's why we wrote it after uh, Rivers of Light the other night. Because it was literally like 20-minute wait. We are like, yeah, we'll take that. <laughs> Have you done Slinky Dog at night? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's also just the lighting package for that. Like the track has lights and that launch sequence that you're describing the way the pieces light up another one yeah. that comes to life and pro tip the camera is on the right <laughs> when you're ready for a picture yes so there you go those are 12 coasters that are still at the two disney parks so a coaster at disney has never closed they've been rethemed but here in the u.s a coaster has never closed at a disney park uh the last one that opened at disneyland was in 2001 and since then we've had five at walt disney world but we also have four parks. Absolutely. Nothing against Disneyland. I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's a fact. And we're about to get two more. Of course, we don't know too, too much about these. But just to wrap up this segment, I feel like we need to talk about these two attractions that do not technically have names. Even though there is a Tron coaster that is going to be basically a recreation of the Tron Light Cycle Power Run in Shanghai Disneyland. Still, the Disney Parks blog refers to it as a, quote, Tron attraction based on Tron Light Cycle Power Run at Shanghai Disneyland. And then the other one we're getting is a, quote, Guardians of the Galaxy-inspired attraction. But we do know that both of these will be coasters, and so far all we've heard is that both of them will open in time for the 50th anniversary in 2021 of Walt Disney World. Is there one you're more excited for over the other, either of you? I'm way more amped for Tron than I am for Guardians. Really? Yes. I can't decide. I I just think those seats look so uncomfortable. 
Yeah, I don't the know, bike really. ones, for yeah. sure. But, but like, I, when you watch Tron... Did you watch Tron Legacy, by the way? Not yet. I watched Tron. Okay. So, watching Tron Legacy... I mean, Tron's good, you know, whatever. But um, there's something about it that just makes me want to be in that universe and ride a light cycle. And so the thought of doing it super gets me pumped. Yeah. And then when you see the video of... And I'm, I'm hoping it's the same where, like, you... Like, from Shanghai, where... Or is it Hong Kong? Which one is it? It's Shanghai. Shanghai. Where, like, you can stand and see the coaster go by. I hope we have that same experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would think so. I'm so curious what its impact on Space Mountain will be just in terms of, like, one, the landscape and feel of Tomorrowland. But you said, as I point out, like, Mine Train had a long line, but Space Mountain is still drawing in those wait times. Will we see that go down as more people are possibly going to Tron, or is it just going to be such an influx of visitors that they're spread out everywhere throughout the queues anyway? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I don't and know. To quote Ric Flair, the professional wrestler who called himself Space Mountain, it's the oldest ride in the park, but it's still got the longest line. Woo! I love that quote, but it's wrong. It's, it's like, so it wrong. Opened four years later. <laughs> but it is, it does speak to just, I think, the longevity of Space Mountain's popularity. Well, what's interesting about the Guardians attraction, which I do think I'm more excited for, it'll be Epcot's first ever roller coaster. Roller coaster. So that's something, you know. Yeah. Are we also going to talk about the Monsters, Inc. Doors coaster that's coming as well? <laughs> no. I'm still waiting for the Yzma and Kronk. And yes, the pull the lever coaster. Yeah. Yes. That oh, one too. boy. Oh, boy. You heard it here. First. <laughs> well there you go those are the coasters listeners if you have any favorites let us know gosh there's so there are so many good ones and i and i do make a point to i think ride all of them most of the time when i'm down there because they all have merit so uh courtney thank you so much as always for joining us do you want to remind everyone where they can find you sure um so i am on instagram at great Guthsby and on twitter at courtney underscore guth that's c-o-u-r T-N-E-Y underscore G-U-T-H. And I also co-host a podcast called Book of the Mouse Club with my lovely co-host, Emily. Um, So if you're interested in books about Disney, Disney's literary influences on its films, its theme parks, uh, you can find us. We do at least one book per month that we like to talk about. We sometimes interview different authors so you can find us online at book of the mouse on twitter and instagram and wherever you find your podcasts and what book are you uh, what book was your last podcast we just did mary poppins in december in honor of mary poppins returns and later this month we're going to start with the first fairy tale that started it all and talk about snow white oh dark you know uh courtney was talking about uh Mary Poppins last night and she had some very candid thoughts on Mary Poppins so I don't know how if you go into this in your podcast or not but uh, very fascinating well we so I'd be fun to like revisit some of the Mary Poppins sequels because we recorded it before Mary Poppins Returns came out so maybe I'll have to do a follow-up episode I would love to hear that uh, well, in the meantime, listeners, you can find us at Mad Chatters on Twitter and Instagram. You can send those emails to comments at madchatters.net. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Take a little time to find the magic in every day. <laughs> <laughs>